Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald on our podcast whiz, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? It's game day, so it's going great. A um, little bit of a flu game for me, not feeling too well, but I'm not going to sit out game day. I'm, I'm, I'm active. I'm not going to get a DNP today. So excited to talk about uh, some preseason basketball. We're starting you, and we expect you to go. We expect you to score sixty today. So. At the four or the three, we're going to put you a point guard today. Oh no! Got a lot of competition. <laughs> Big log jam there. And uh, he's a he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French League himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here. How's it going today? Well, that's great. I'm. I'm uh, hey, I'll play hurt. I'm ready to go. <laughs> You know, that's that Indiana I'm, toughness in you. Yeah, I'm gonna give you what I got. Of course, <laughs> I, at, at, at 77, I'm playing hurt all the time. <laughs> you know, I can't think of two tougher people than somebody from Indiana or somebody from Boston. So, uh, so <laughs> yeah. we're good to go today. I'm a California boy. I'm weak. If I if I have even a sore <laughs> yeah. throat, I'm out. For well, we're uh, we've officially made it through another Sacramento Kings off season. Uh, we're recording mere hours before the first preseason game, as Tony alluded to, against the. Uh, NBA champion runner-up Phoenix Suns and uh, before we get into a more general discussion on things I wanted to touch first on uh, maybe some some talk on these first preseason skirmishes uh, between the Suns Clippers Lakers and Blazers uh, Jerry first of all as a as a former GM and a former coach what do you look for uh, in these preseason games and what are you preparing for or as a coach or as a GM uh, what do you what do you want to see out of your team headed into preseason well I think Anymore, it, it's changed a lot to where you're playing the preseason game so quick with uh, very little training, actually. Any, uh, you know, when I came to the league, you, you know, you'd, you'd have two a days for 10 days before you ever played the preseason game. And then, then you had still had eight. So, uh, so, but, but all that being said, I, I think what they're looking for is the first game in particular, probably both teams. Uh, they'd like to get uh, the key, their key guys a few minutes, if in fact uh, uh, they're healthy. Uh, and then for the most part, they really use the time to look at guys who might be rotation players and uh, just to, you know, basically to see some people they're not sure of. I mean, that's the reality of it is they're not going to make any decisions of importance based on this first game. So, so when it comes to guys like a Fox or Halliburton, what are you looking for uh, in terms of minutes or in terms of production? Uh, is it just as, as simple as, hey, go out there, try to do what you can and don't get hurt? Or is there something as a coach you should be eyeing? Well, I, I think basically it is, just, it is just that. Go out there and don't get hurt. Uh, you know, try to, uh, the minutes you play, uh, try to play well. And, and certainly with a, you got a couple of key guys out there, you hope they play well together, but uh, you, you know, no, I don't think there are any expectations to be honest. I mean, people may say there are, but they're not, they're just not any expectations uh, uh, on this, on this, on the first preseason game. 
And that extends all the way down to guys like rookies like uh, Davion Mitchell or question marks like Bagley or Lou King or, or Jamias Ramsey. Um, it's just, it's just all the way across the board or do you look to those? No, no, that's a great, great question. No, it, it does change when you go down the list, when you get away from the established proven guys, if, you know, when you get away from Fox and Harrison Barnes and Halliburton, you know, and, and Rashawn Holmes, you know, now it changes, but now with Davion Mitchell, I think, you, you'll want to see continued success. You know, in other words, it, it's a preseason game and it's the first one, but you are playing against a little bit better competition even than you played in summer league. So sure. with Davion or Lou King or Ramsey, yeah, you, you want to see uh, production and positive play. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that's why I say I, about the only thing I've ever really cared about the early preseason games i like to look at the stats on those guys that you're not sure about or you don't know anything much about and i always say even summer league and once that's gone uh, now you want to see what the stats look like and you know the preseason games overall in particular but for a for a mitchell and ram and not so much mitchell but even more ramsey and king uh basically they they need to play well. What about somebody like a Halliburton, or I'm sorry, not Halliburton, but a, a, a Bagley, where he's established, he is a veteran technically, though we haven't seen much of him in the regular season. Is, is he somebody that you just kind of, hey, just produce at, at a high level, uh, you know, where you're just kind of taking a flyer on him? Or is this something like, do not get hurt, we'll see you in the regular season? Well, that, here again, I, I think that would uh, could change, you know, depend on the coach or GM, whatever they really think there but I would think uh, honestly a guy like Marvin who missed so much time you would like to trot out there for a few more minutes than normal than you normally would for a guy in his you know at this stage of his career because you really need to see if he has made progress health-wise and physically and all that so so yeah I think the preseason all the preseason games could be of more value to the team and to Marvin than seven, six or seven other players. Tony, what is something that you're looking at from a fan, uh, from a fan perspective? Um, something that I saw come across uh, my feed, I think it was Jason Anderson who had the quote, but um, he had obviously talked to Marvin Bagley and Marvin Bagley told him that uh, this was the most fun he's ever had in a training camp. And the team is very driven with this common goal of making the playoffs. And I know there's a lot of like um, training camp like bullshit that we hear all every year, you know, Jason Thompson added the three point shot or, you know, name your player who added name your thing in the off season. Um, but from someone uh, like Marvin Bagley, we've heard nothing but like how poor, I guess the relationship is between him and the Kings. He was in trade rumors all summer. So from a player who you, I guess, wouldn't expect to have this good of a time in training camp, he probably expected and intended to be on a completely different team. And for him to seemingly, be in the best place mentally with this team that he's been in since his rookie year. That means something to me. And I don't think it's going to be like a, a big deal, but I just, I'm interested and I'm curious to see what Marvin Bagley looks like this year with this attitude, um, this mindset that maybe he hasn't had at least last year. And I don't know when sort of his optimism and excitement sort of went away for playing for this organization. The Kings have certainly given him reasons to be pessimistic about their future. But um, hearing him, of all, if anyone else said this, I would take nothing of it. But having it come from Marvin Bagley, that he's the one 
that is excited and happy and optimistic and all those words. Um, that's just an interesting wrinkle to me. So among the things I'm looking forward to, one of them is definitely just what does Marvin Bagley look like with this mindset versus kind of what we've seen from him in years before. Marvin to me is he's the wild card. Yeah. You know, he, I mean, if, if the, honestly, if he could really make legitimate strides and stay healthy and really be, you know, kind of living up to just what Tony was talking about, what he said, I mean, really does give the team a chance to maybe make a nice step. Uh, but until you see it, you haven't seen it. So there is that, but, uh, but it is, I, I was felt the same way. I read those same things and I was thinking, boy, that's a little different, uh, yeah. encouraging slant, you know, cause we all look for encouragement until we get beat down somewhere along the line. <laughs> I was also curious, Tony kind of led into this a little bit. How much Jerry do you take from, um, there's a lot of hype about the, um, the positivity from the training camp or everybody loves everybody. We're all singing Kumbaya and they're all, they're all on one page and that's get to the playoffs. How much uh, do you, how much stock do you put into that? And, uh, and, and where exactly, if not, where exactly do Kings fans have their hope getting into the preseason? Where do they place their stock? If it's not in training camp went really well for everybody. Yeah. Well, well, I think that is, I mean, as Kings fans and that's what we are, uh, we, we want to, to believe all that. And I think it's, it's generally true. Uh, what we, we tend to not remember is that all 30 teams are saying exactly the same thing, exactly the same thing. And I mean, and certainly we've heard it through the good years with the Kings. We've heard it through the bad years. Boy, Spencer Hawes looks like a different player in training camp. And, and, uh, and uh, so, you know, or, like say Jason Thompson's developing the three-point shot, boy, he's come back to camp, uh, you know, terrific and all that. And it's like, yeah, man, you know, the reality is that they are who they are. <laughs> and uh, and so that settles in. But but I mean, if you don't start there, and and in, in some cases, you know, it's actually true that that the team, the camaraderie is 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 better, and the players come with a better attitude and they fit better, and that results i i think you know looking back to the 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 last year of dave yeager you know i i recall that being said and it really did and it really was that way yeah it really was that way so you know as opposed to the maybe 15 other times when it wasn't so uh yeah. <laughs> you know I, I i guess there's no downside to being optimistic you know there's just there's no negatives to it you don't want to, you know, uh, but just keep in mind that all 30 teams just about are saying exactly the same thing. And, you know, and I've gotten, you know, as a cynical over the years, you know, I don't care about hearing about, oh, he's added eight pounds of muscle. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, that's wonderful. Uh, but there is no there is no column for eight pounds of muscle added. It's only wins and losses. And so, and so that's what you're looking for, but you know, it, uh, or, or, you know, over the years I've seen that too, where guys say, Oh, he's put on 50 and you see him and it's like, ah, looks the same to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, or his, his agent or, or he's been working out with, you know, Kobe Bryant and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, and fans will get excited. Well, yeah, well, get working out with Kobe. Don't make you Kobe. You know, 
Tony, I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this with uh, McNair saying at media day um, that he felt like this is uh, the, the Kings. Go, uh, he said, uh, I'll quote it here. This is going to be our team going in. Um, so kind of putting to bed any, any uh, talks of uh, Ben Simmons or any trades for Buddy Heald or Marvin Bagley prior to the preseason. I was curious what your thoughts were on that. And if you felt that was uh, being a little bit facetious or if, or if you feel like, yeah, this will probably be the team until the all-star break. Well, uh, I think we've talked about how Monty McNair talks to the media a few times on this podcast. It's sort of been one of our little running themes. So from when I hear McNair say stuff like this, um, he's just very good at saying exactly what he has to say and almost always nothing more than that. So a large part of me just says like, yeah, this is what Monty McNair is going to say at this stage of training camp. At the same time, I don't really doubt that it's accurate because he hasn't been able to change the roster all summer. So if he wanted to before, he probably could have. Now, circumstances change for other teams. Things will open up. Uh, maybe injuries will happen. More trade opportunities will, will materialize. And if those come, I don't think Monty is going to not do them because he said on media day that this was his team moving in. So I don't know that there's much impact there at all other than this is kind of what Monty does. And as we get to learn about him as like a, a figurehead and a, a spokesperson for the franchise, um, when you're trying to read between the lines for what he's saying, I almost think the easiest way is to just take what he says as uh, he's just um, going to say whatever makes him most comfortable in those walls. And he'll do behind the scenes, whatever he has to do to make the team better. And he's certainly not going to, you know, jeopardize anything in the locker room or in his front office or coaching staff or whatever by stepping in the mud and saying something dumb. Cause he really hasn't done that once yet. It's that's a big difference between him and Vlade's tenure. Vlade was very honest all the time and I'm sure it ruffled some feathers in there. Whereas McNair just uh, quickly thinking back of all of the press conferences we've seen from him and there hasn't been many, I don't think he said one thing that could even remotely anger anyone ever. That's just not the position he has ever taken in the media yet. So his comments were not surprising at all to me. Yeah. You know, I, I was telling, uh, Will, I had a chance to meet, uh, and visit, spend some time with uh, Monte just recently at a, a little party for Katie with Christensen. And, uh, and it was, uh, really enjoyed meeting him, you know, very, but, but he really does remind me a little bit of uh, Jeff Petrie in a sense, you know, of course, a Princeton guy, but he, he is not going to uh, speak before he thinks, you know, I mean, he's not like probably us three who, uh, you know, but, uh, or me especially, but uh, yeah. He, and, and so, you know, I think it's, it's like you pointed out to him a lot of times, so, well, uh, just take him at his word. There's no reason trying to, uh, split hairs and read between the lines. I don't think there are many lines there. Uh, you know, uh, I think, I personally think that, uh, you know, he, he tried to do quite a few things and didn't work. I, I think the, the problem, you know, we've talked about before, uh, you know, the problem he has is that, that uh, what his value probably uh, attached to, to his players, the other general managers don't see it that way. Or, you know, that's, you can't, uh, you can't make people trade. And, and I, I mean, but, but it all, but it certainly seems like uh, he's came close on a couple awfully good deals, just didn't, didn't materialize, but we also know, and I think, you know, it just, he, he understands that at some point, uh, you know, you, you can't make a living on uh, almost making deals. <laughs> 
I'm curious, Jerry, as to what you think of the roster now currently, where he, um, when asked about it, he said that he looked at the roster and he saw a lot of versatility and guys that could slide up and down and that he felt that the roster was well-balanced in the sense that maybe not in traditional thinking, but that defensively and shooting and ball handling, that they could throw out a lot of different lineups. Do you feel like this roster is well-balanced? Well, I I probably wouldn't agree with that. Uh, I mean, I definitely think they don't have enough wings. Now, if you, you know, you have a lot of guys that can play different positions, you do. Uh, Now, what you're hoping for, in my mind, of a real, if you really had exactly the balance that you wish, you'd have, you know, several guys that would, would be a nice fit at three or several guys who would be a nice fit at four type thing. And I've, I don't believe that's quite the case. I mean, you, you have guys who can play there or, or you can slide over there, but that's, that would be their third best position kind of thing. And so, so, so that, as opposed to maybe the, the, the better rosters or teams, uh, you know, you're sliding a, a two into a three who's more than big enough to play three and has played three, you know, a, a Chris Middleton. Yeah. You can slide him to three because that's what he used to play all the time. Now, now he's capable of playing two. I, I don't know if that's making sense, but I mean, it's like, well, yeah, you can, you can pop uh, Buddy Heald at three, but that's not really a good position for him. But I, I'm like, I would play him there. Don't get me wrong, son, but that's still, still not, uh, you know, an ideal spot for him. I know uh, I just talked about not reading between the lines, but hearing you uh, recite that quote, Will, made me think for a minute, um, only because when Luke Walton was on the hot seat in the middle of last season, uh, there were reports that um, McNair actually thought Walton was doing a fine job, meaning he was doing the best he could with sort of the pieces he put around him. And I wonder if part of what McNair is saying, not that he did this on purpose, but McNair coming out publicly and saying no you know, this year, the roster is balanced and there is versatility and you can play defense. Is he maybe, you know, passing the ball back to Luke Walton and putting the pressure back on him a little bit where it's like, you know, I know we, we kind of gave you a pass last year. The roster wasn't complete, but Monty's saying now at the beginning of the year, like, no, this roster is actually kind of what I intended. There's a lot of pieces here, a lot of versatility. And now maybe there's more pressure on Luke Walton to get more out of this roster than maybe uh, Monty McNair put on him to get out of the roster he put together last season. Well, I do think that's a great point because you, you do see quite a few more of the players on this roster were acquired by Monty. Yeah. You know, in other words, it's a pretty much last year, you know, with the exception of kind of Tyrese, I mean, uh, it was, a, a you know, Lottie's team in many ways, but you know, the trades in the middle of the year and, and certainly the guys picked up. So this roster with uh, just a few, few exceptions are, you know, or is Monty's team. So I, I do think as a general manager, uh, and I think you're exactly right, Tony, I, I think uh, he's probably looking at Luke and the team differently. Uh, you know, that, that's the way it usually works. Uh, I always say that uh, if, when, once you, uh, if you're the person who acquired the talent, right or wrong, you see it probably a little better than it is. <laughs> and that may, you know, that may always be the case. I'm curious if either of you guys think that there seems to be a, the general consensus here is that there is a hole at the small forward position that, that really there isn't. I mean, you've got Harrison Barnes who probably plays better as a, as a four at this point. And you've got Mo Harkless who 
is probably the same. He's not much of a shooter, and so he's probably more of a small ball four at this point. I wonder if either of you guys think that this is telegraphing that Buddy Heald will spend most of his time as a small forward, and that three-guard lineup isn't just a thing that they'll experiment with or that they say, oh, yeah, we'll use a lot of it, just like every team every year says, oh, we're going to run a lot more and we're going to play better defense. But if they really, truly mean that, no, you know, it's going to be De'Aaron Fox um, and it's going to be Tyrese Halberton and it's going to be Buddy Heald as our starting small forward for the foreseeable future. Well, I do think it's, you know, I go back to kind of my general thinking about everything in basketball. First thing you do is try to figure out who your best players are. Say your five best players. uh, Okay. And then get them on the floor. Now, in some cases, if you had five guys all four foot nine, that wouldn't work. But but let's say, you know, with the Kings, I think when you think, okay, they're five best players, as we know right now, uh, it basically means you're going to be very small uh, because Harrison probably is better four. And, and so now Buddy almost becomes the three. Now, you've got, still got plenty of guard line help. Uh, so – but that's just the reality of it. Now, is that ideal? No, I don't think it is. But I'm. But I would still say, well, that's getting your five best players on the floor, and 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 that's kind of the problem because you'd like you'd like one of your best players. You know, the the real miracle of the whole thing would be, in my mind, if Marvin Bagley could prove to be the best four. You know, if he could prove without a doubt he is the best four, then all of a sudden. You know, you could, and one of your five best players, it, you know, things uh, could look up, but that hadn't been the case. Tony, what are your thoughts on this three guard lineup and whether or not it's sustainable? I, I actually am a fan of it only because I, I like that it's interesting and it, there's upside there. It's not the same thing we've seen, you know, for two years with Marvin Bagley at the four. Um, I hope Walton does what he says he's going to do. I think. Uh, something he said is that his starting lineup tonight will not be his starting lineup necessarily in preseason game two. He said he was going to try a lot of different starting lineups and I hope he does that. And I hope he, um, whoever performs best gets that position because I, I don't think, you know, on paper, I don't see a major difference between a lineup, you know, just talent for talent that has Bagley at the four or Barnes at the four and buddy at the three or Barnes at the three. Like those are pretty equal in a lot of ways. So one of them will be better than the other though. And Walton hopefully will use this preseason to, to figure that out and then use that. And if the lineup with buddy at the three is better. And I, I, I kind of think it, it might be because I think buddy for as uh, we all have, you know, our, our concerns about buddy defensively, but most of his defensive issues have come with him at two. I don't know. You know, I'm not saying it's going to be better at three, but he's not the best athlete in the world. He's a, Built guy, he's always had a hard time to me staying in front of quicker guards and, and smaller players. Maybe banging against some threes where his strength can actually be a benefit instead of a detriment, where it kind of makes him a little bit too slow to play it on the perimeter sometimes. You know, he's not a good defender at the two, anyways. So, how much worse is he going to be at the three? Maybe he's a little bit better. I don't know. Um, but I hope Walton uses the preseason to find out. The problem I think you have. And I like the three-guard lineup, don't get me wrong, but I think with this particular team, uh, you know, you really uh, – the weaknesses has been defense. And so, you know, it's hard to see how you get better defensively that way. Uh, 
you know, we were counting on Davion Mitchell in whatever role, but, but I mean, then also rebounding, if in fact Harrison is your five, he's never been a great rebounder, even at yeah. three. And so now all of a sudden, Rashawn Holmes, who is not a great rebounding center, he's, he's good, but he's not great. So, so you better score the hell out of the ball yeah. <laughs> yeah. to, you know, it, with that lineup. That's why I say I think you could play that way, but to think in terms of playing, you know, 35, 40 minutes that way, I, I think it'd be tough. Uh, that's why, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think Buddy can play there against a lot of guys. And, and do okay. And I agree with Tony. I think defensively, I think he might actually be a better fit at three defensively. He'd get overpowered by some guys, yeah. but uh, I think threes would have a tougher time guarding him than two. That's true too. Yeah. And, and so you, you know, so you have to look at it a little both ways. I mean, offensively, I have no doubt that that lineup would probably be the best offensive lineup. And, but can you make up for, you know, can you stop anybody and can you get the ball back? <laughs> I think Jerry makes a good point that I, I wish I remembered to make. And that's like the three guard lineup, the guards is actually the easiest part of making that work. The hard part is now you've got to play down in the front court with Holmes and Barnes. If they had like a seven, two center, if they had Rudy Gobert, then no problem. You know, you've got the paint covered. If they had Jokic, a big guy in the paint, no problem. But Rashawn Holmes is a, you know, He's a four, a four, a five and a four body for, for the most part. I mean, he's not one of the bigger centers in the league. So it does, the three guard lineup is fine in and of itself, but it makes the rest of that starting lineup kind of uncomfortable, which is kind of the, the scarier part to me than actually the guards is what happens around them. So I guess, Jerry, we're going to have to expect a seven seconds or less offense if we're going to have uh, any hope at all for a playoff berth here in Sacramento. Is that what you're saying? I think you'd have to, yeah, really, I do. And I, and I mean, I think you've got enough really talented guard line to maybe go ahead and at some point make a decision. If you're going to play that way, you better play that way. I mean, you know, uh, okay, it's uh, a little bit of a Jaeger thing to where it was a, an effort. We're going to get shots up and uh, we're going to try to outscore you because, and uh, we want the game, you know, at a fast pace so that there's not much half court play because that's where you're going to be in a tough spot defensively. You'd like to get them going up and down as well, quick shots and everything. So uh, all that being said, I, I think I do think you can play that way. And I think the King, King, Kings would have a chance to be uh, somewhat successful because they could really be good offensively, really good offensively. Uh, but to, to think that uh, you're not going at some point to be, you know, late games when it gets down to half court basketball, uh, as, as we all know, I mean, you know, there's times when you got to get stops in half court and you got to get the ball back. And, and that's, that, that's where, uh, you're just, I think I'd be praying that, that Marvin or, or your Metu or somebody can, uh, can really grow to the occasion. So, so as we're sticking on defense here a little bit, um, one thing I see a lot of in terms of the discourse, especially on uh, King's Twitter, but, but elsewhere, is there's a, a general excitement for Davion Mitchell coming into the season. And I've seen people go as far as to say that they think he'll be a, a top three rookie in this class. Um, I have hesitations towards that, only because he is kind of a defensive-centric uh, um, guard. He's a little undersized in that regard. And uh, 
So I wanted to get your guys' opinions on where you see Davion um, um, winding up this season in terms of uh, his role on the team and uh, whether you think it's even fair to expect a kid who is a rookie, you know, just out of college to, to, to turn around this defense or, or be the, uh, the, on a team of veterans to be the guy motivating everyone else to uh, get on the ground for balls or, or, or go for steals or anything else like that. Well, I, I do think that, uh, you know, Davion, you know, has a chance to be a top three rookie. Uh, I wouldn't say that he would. I, I think as, as always, it's always about minutes played and, and uh, stats, you know, and so I think there are there are some rookies that probably will get a play more than him. The problem Davion's got is that De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton are here. Uh, there's 96 minutes at the guard spot, starting guard spot. So, so you, at some point, uh, you know, whether Buddy plays any guard or Terrence Davis plays any guard. Uh, that will that will affect it a little bit, but I, I think uh, as far as his as his defense, uh, can it change the team? I don't think you can expect that. I do what, think what you can expect is that he'll carry his own water. You know, he is who he is. He's going out there and, and bother people and 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 all. And at some point, I think there is a carryover factor. It, it can't hurt. Uh, you know, I, I I'm I'm convinced that just having a guy like that. Uh, really getting some minutes and, and maybe being certainly being part of the regular rotation has got to help your defense because uh, I thought last year the biggest problem I had with the guard line personally was we just didn't see him picking up, putting pressure on the ball soon enough, hard enough, often enough. And he'll do that. He'll do that. And, and so that, to me, there it has to help. How much? There's no way of knowing, but but it has to help some. There seems to be this discussion that Davion's going to turn around the Kings defense, you know, from day one, minute one. And for me, it was always, it's always been a fear that like, if you've got veterans on your team, like Tristan Thompson and Alex Len, uh, uh, even guys like Mo Harkless and Davion Mitchell is the leader is the guy that's spurring your team. You're probably screwed from the very, very start of the season. If no one else is motivated to do it and the kids got to do it, you're probably not long for this world in terms of defensive presence. No, you're, you're, that's a great point because at some point, I mean, really, you know, Davion's got to be Davion, but at some point, you well, that 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 has to come from Fox and Halliburton. Uh, those guys have got to buy in completely, uh, and then there'll be a carryover. I think. I mean, that'd just be like saying, well, Patrick Beverly going to Minnesota will will change that team's defense. Well, Patrick will make him better defensively because he's Patrick Beverly, <laughs> you know. But is that uh, and, and but and Minnesota's not going to be a lot better defensively until Carl Anthony Towns decides he wants to be better defensively. Tony, what are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on Davion Mitchell heading into the season? Where do you see him winding up by the end of the year? I don't want to put you know the expectation that he will transform the entire defense on his shoulders, but I do think. Um, the way he plays defense, and this might be like a hokey, like someone who's not in the NBA thing that they would say, but I do think defense can be infectious. And I think we saw that in summer league where just by virtue of like being around Davion Mitchell, I thought we saw Jamias Ramsey play the best 
hardest, toughest defense I've ever seen him play. I think Luke King played the best, toughest, hardest defense I've ever seen him play. And I do think some of that starts with seeing Davion Mitchell hound players from the moment he gets in. So while I don't necessarily think like Tristan Thompson or Harrison Barnes is going to get motivated by Davion Mitchell, and maybe they will to a, to a small degree. I do think the way Davion Mitchell, you know, checks into a game immediately gets in a guy's Jersey is pushing guys around fighting for every ball. I do think that part can be infectious and impress and, and put some impression on the younger guards on this roster who hasn't seen that in the backcourt in Sacramento. I just don't think they've seen it. Like Fox hasn't played with a defender like Davion Mitchell, neither as Halliburton, neither as Buddy. The Kings haven't had that aggressive in your face guard defender. And sometimes I do think just seeing that uh, can be eye-opening and maybe can be uh, motivating and emulated by some of the other guards. So I do think there is, while I wouldn't put him transforming the entire defense on his shoulders, I do think just having a player like that on the roster finally will show these guys what hard on-ball defense looks like because I don't think they've had a great example of that in the last few years. Davion seems to me like a guy who um, he's going to be put into the third quarter of a game where the Kings are down 15. And just on a couple of plays, the crowd will be out of it. The crowd's kind of going, oh, here we go, another Kings loss. And he'll be the guy that that puts a fire under their ass and gets a steal for a layup and hounds another guy to dribble the ball out of bounds. And all of a sudden the crowd gets into it. And and I don't expect him to to do anything that 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 merits anything above a, a maybe a, an all rookie selection. Yeah. I, I know there are a lot of people that uh they're they're riding high on him. He had a fantastic summer league. I just don't see him getting the minutes. I don't see him getting uh the hype. I don't see his offensive game game being such that it will warrant anything a near rookie of the year discussion. I think he's a guy that four years from now. He could be one of the better guards in the class. I just don't see him as somebody who his rookie year will stand out enough um, outside of his defense and any highlights that the NBA decides to clip for that. Uh, I don't think he's going to stand out that much. And I think putting the onus on a, on a 10th pick on a guy who's not a, a huge offensive uh, weapon, I think it's a, I think it's a little hard and it, it prevents uh or it, it, it makes it harder for Davion to shine when you expect things like, oh man, he's, you know, 15 points a game and three steals. And this guy's going to be a defensive player of the year someday. I mean, Gary Payton, his rookie year was like seven and six, you know, seven points and six assists. And it took, it yeah. took Gary a couple of years to do it. And if it took Gary a couple of years to do it, it's going to take Davion Mitchell a couple of years to do it too. Yeah. It took uh, John Stockton longer than that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I would say this, I, I, what I think will happen this year, and I agree totally with what you're saying. I, uh, I think that and if I'm Coach Walton, there'd be times when, when, where you could really get some value out of Davion is, is to make sure, you know, when somebody like Mike Conley's got a, got a game going, make sure you put Mitchell on him, because I guarantee you uh, he'll make him work. Or, or D'Angelo Russell, when he's being Mr. Cool Breeze out there, you know, floating around, uh, you know, put a little off night on him uh, for a little while, you know, just to see if he can change, change his game. And I think, I think he has the ability, you know, not all the time. I mean, can he, is he going to stop Chris Paul? He might bother Chris Paul. He might affect Chris Paul for a while. Uh, These guys will always figure it out. They're so good, but, but I mean, the Kings have not had anybody that Chris Paul has been worried about for one second of any day of the week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I guarantee you, he'll be, 
Davion Mitchell will we'll give him some things to think about. And, and that in itself has some real value, uh, you know, if you're trying to, during the course of a season in close games where you might, might be able to get back in games or close out games. It's also one of those things, Jerry, that I don't expect, I don't expect Damian Lillard to, to go up against Davion Mitchell and then just clank everything off the back of the rim. And I, I don't even see it necessarily as a bad thing that Davion Mitchell gets 40 points scored on him in a night. Or, oh, no. or, you know, somebody goes and gets, and gets cooking against them. I think that's a good thing for Davion Mitchell as a competitor and as somebody who is a defensive presence because he might not do it this year. You know, he might, if you put him out there for 36 minutes, he might get scored on, you know, he might get 36 points hung up on him. But two years from now, that might be, that game might be the reason why, you know, Damian Lillard goes one of nine from the three-point line. But it just takes time for him to figure that out. Well, you know, too, keep in mind, I mean, I think that with all the rules helping the offensive players, uh, great defenders aren't going to stop great offensive players. Uh, you know, I mean, a, a Patrick Beverly gets scored on, uh, but he does make it tougher on people. P.J. Tucker got torched by D Kevin Durant, but it takes Kevin Durant to torch P.J. Tucker, sure. <laughs> you know, sure. and, and that's, uh, that's kind of where you'd like to get to, to where it takes really a a, a terrific player in order to score on you, not just, you know, Joe Fiduzel and Elmer Fudd, uh, you know, make, make sure it's really good. And I, I think that's, I think he has ability to be, you know, Patrick Beverly type player. I mean, with, I think a better overall game and, uh, and, you know, Patrick, as we know, I mean, has, has an impact on games. He just does. Yeah, I think the, the P.J. Tucker point is something I hadn't thought of, but I think it's uh, accurate because, you know, would Giannis have been a, been a better defender on Kevin Durant in the playoffs? Probably slash maybe. But the luxury of having someone like P.J. Tucker is you have a player that you don't need any offensive expectation on. He can use all of his energy on defense. So maybe Mitchell also can play that role in fourth quarter lineups where now Fox isn't chasing around Chris Paul. Now a guy like Davion Mitchell, who has no offensive responsibility, can focus all of his energy on defending the opposing team's best guard. And that frees up guys like Fox and Halliburton to not, you know, take off defense, but it gives you more, uh, maybe more energy to score on the other end. I think that, you know, that's what the Bucks did in the playoffs against, um, or against the Nets. You know, they didn't put Giannis on Kevin Durant a lot, mostly because they relied a lot of their offense on Giannis. So I think the Kings can use Mitchell in those circumstances too. Yeah, there'll be spots, I mean, at late games where you know that you're playing Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell, they're going to go to him. Well, you might – that might be where you say, oh, this would be a great spot to, to, to get him some minutes. Uh, you don't want Fox in foul trouble. Uh, yep. uh, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to stop Donovan Mitchell, but uh, you sure – you, you can make it – still make it tough on him and keep your guys out of foul trouble. And uh, so, I mean, it's an extra piece, I think uh, – uh, He's an extra piece that can be utilized in some pretty, for a rookie, I think, in valuable spots as the year goes. Gary, what are your expectations for, uh, for Tyrese Halliburton uh, coming into this preseason, but also in, in general this season as playing kind of the established Robin to Fox's Batman? Uh, well, I'm sky high on Tyrese. I, I think he'll make the nice second-year jump. Uh, he, he's such a natural playmaker. Uh, you know, he's, he's a proven great spot shooter. I mean, I just don't see any downside. I think he and Fox are 
a real nice match. I like to say, I, as you guys know, I said back in the middle of last year that, that I thought that Halliburton really ran the offense better, especially the half-court offense better than Fox. I still believe that. I, I mean, I like Fox in the open court and all that, but when you get into half court and have to run stuff, which you always do some, uh, that uh, I think they're a nice match. Uh, it makes scoring easier for Fox, and, and Halliburton probably gets gets his teammates involved better. And so I, I think they're, they're a guard line if, 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 and that's a small if, uh, they both got to make, you know, at least Fox has to make another small step and, and Halliburton a nice step, and, and there's no reason to believe they won't. And I think you've got to probably a, a top-level guard line for years to come. Do you expect him to start this year? Is there any chance that Luke Walton decides to run out a lineup that, that starts Fox and Buddy rather than a Fox and Halliburton? Well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think he's proven to be one of your five best players. He's really one of your three, probably best players. And, and, and so, and be hard to say anything lower than four. So why wouldn't he you get him out there now? Uh, now, if in fact you think he can be a, a game changer as a six man, then that's, I, you know, then that may be possible. I mean, I, I think he's, but at the end of it, to me, let's just simplify it. He needs to play 35 minutes a night. That's it. You know, 32 to 35 minutes a night. That's, and, and, he, and probably the sooner he and Fox become your backcourt, the better off you're going to be. That would be my, my opinion, which is wrong a lot, but I really believe that is correct in this case. Tony, is there anything you're expecting from Halliburton this year outside of the regular uh, sophomore year growth? I think he's got a, you know, he – a lot of our optimism, I'll, I'll speak for myself, but the fan base's optimism, the little that I think that we have at times is a lot of it is tied to Tyrese Halliburton. Um, he was so good in his rookie year, best rookie year since, I don't know, maybe, I don't even, maybe Tyreek. I don't know who was the, the best rookie since him. Um, so it's very high expectations. And what I like about Halliburton is I think he's ready for all of that. He never seemed unpoised or, or didn't want the responsibility. He was, maybe the most engaged uh, player all off season and what was happening in Sacramento. I think he was at every summer league game. Um, he's always, you know, he's been pro Walton. He's been very pro organization. I think he's off the court and on the court. He's been everything that the fans have wanted out of a, a draft pick. And then now is the time where he makes the next step. So if he's not the second, you know, I guess I would put it like this, anything less than him being the second best player on this team by the time uh, the end of the season rolls around, uh, you know, unless someone else magically jumps him over him and they're both really good, I think that'd be sort of a disappointment. I think the expectations are high on Halliburton. I think they are for a good reason. I have them too. I think he's going to be great this year. And um, it's just a matter of, you know, hopefully Luke Walton starts him. And like Jerry said, hopefully he's getting those starter quality minutes at, if nothing else. All right. So we've, uh, we've gone through our play, uh, our preseason expectations. We've gone through a, a light rundown of what we expect from these guys uh, from some of the main players in the Kings. So uh, now we're going to roll over to uh, our Patreon question of the day, Tony. Tony, what do you have for us? Thanks, Will. Uh, as everyone, all the listeners know, every week on this podcast, we ask one question from our Kings Herald patrons, uh, patreon.com slash Kings Herald. We ask one question on the podcast. Any other submitted questions we ask in a Patreon Q&A that we do once a month. So we'll be recording one of those uh, shortly as well. But the question for this episode comes from Tall Skinny Ben on Twitter. And he wants to know, uh, Jerry, what would be defined as a successful season for the Kings this year? Um, play in, playoffs, 
or player development or something else entirely. What, uh, what conclusion to this season, Jerry, would make you think like, all right, the Kings have succeeded in, in some type of way? Well, I, I think it almost, <laughs> it'd have to be a combination of things for me. I mean, I think uh, I might be able to, if they made the play in as much as I, I hate that sort of thing, because yeah. I think it's about playoffs, but, but I, if it was play in and player development in the sense that and I'm not worried about the 11th, 12th, 15th guy. I, I, you know, there's always going to be one of those. But uh, the, the the continued development of Halliburton, uh, De'Aaron Fox, hopefully Marvin is going to develop into a productive player and healthy player. And, uh, you know, I mean, all the key guys, you know, certainly uh, Harrison Barnes, you're probably saying, well, he's probably, a, you know, pretty well developed uh you know, buddy to a degree, but I, I certainly think that Fox and, and Halliburton, you, you have every right to expect them to be better basketball players when you evaluate the end of the year, as well as the team being significantly better. And I think if, if I didn't see that to where in my own mind that I was convinced they have taken a step, then I think it'd be a failure. Will, what about you? What's a successful 2021-22 uh, King season for you? I think I think the 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 most uh, or the easiest to pin down is they got to win 40 games or more. I think you bring uh, you know Vladi brought Luke Walton in uh, to replace Dave Yeager, uh, thinking that that Luke can do a better job than Dave Yeager could, and and Luke in his first two seasons hasn't been able to do that. Yeager went uh, 39 and 43. In the 18-19 season, he got the ninth seed. Uh, it didn't mean anything at that at that point in time. But it, Luke Walton has to at least, after two seasons of kind of uh, built-in excuses in terms of COVID and the pandemic and the you know no fans in the stands and everything else like that, this this year is kind of a return to to normal for the most part. Okay, so go out and beat him. Go out and beat the guy that you got you got you you replaced. Um, I, I think that. I don't necessarily have to see them win. You know, they don't have to go to the playoffs necessarily for me to go, okay, this is, this was a successful season, but they cannot, they cannot go th for 31 wins again. They cannot have 35 wins. They, they have to go for 40 plus wins. They have to be not just, you know, squeaking in on the last day of, of the season for, for that 10 seed. They have to be, uh, okay. These guys are the ninth seed. They're kind of holding it off. You know, they could, maybe they could push for the eight seed coming into the final, you know, 10, 15 games of the season. Um, uh, an all-star uh, appearance for Fox is unlikely, but it would be uh, that, that would kind of help take the edge off. Um, um, anybody like uh, Halliburton making a big jump or Davion Mitchell surprising would be, would be nice in terms of development. That would be a big thing for me. Um, Marvin Bagley showing that, uh, that, that he's got a, a bit of value uh, returning to his stock would be, would be, you know, maybe pie in the sky at this point, but would be, would be, would be wonderful. Uh, I, I think the other thing is, is the, the Kings don't screw up in uh, the, like near the all-star break at the trade deadline. They don't, they don't swing for the fences for a guy who's injured or very obviously doesn't want to be here or, you know, a, a Ben Simmons move to me if the Kings trade for Ben Simmons and, because they're trying to figure it out, kind of fumble along the way. 
okay, at least they were successful in the sense that they got uh, another star talent and now they got to figure it out. But if, if this is the roster, you know, give or take a, a couple of non core pieces, uh, they got to win 40 games and, and they got to be pushing for a playoff spot. Yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of an old saying that I've always kind of believed in, you know, the, this year's season. I mean, there's, there are many ways of going forward but only one way of standing still and that the standing still part just can't be tolerated. You know, yeah. this team, mm-hmm. this team has to win more and certainly, uh, you know, go forward by winning more. And then, like I say, I think the key young players have to show clear development that, you know, an average fan that pays close attention will say, yeah, they're this guy's better and this guy's better. And this rookie, yeah, he made progress. You know, I mean, if it's Mitchell, does he have to win rookie year? Of course he doesn't. But you but he's got to show you, and in my mind, he's got to prove and 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 be developed to the point where you say, Yeah, he can be part of the solution going forward. He's a was a good pick. Doesn't have to be the best pick but he has to prove he's a really good pick by the end of the year. Tony, what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. My answer would be, I guess, uh, not so specific. And I was thinking about it while you guys were talking. I think my answer is a little bit more abstract than that, where it's like, I want the season to end and I want to feel good about it. I haven't felt good (laughs) at the end of a King season in a very long time. I forget what that feels like. So I don't know, you know, they could back into the playoffs because no one else is trying or back into the play-in because no one else is trying. And I would still feel kind of eh about that. They could, you know, miss the playoffs, but we could chalk it up to injuries and people would say, Oh, if they weren't hurt, they'd make it. And I would feel eh about that. I just want to feel good when the season is over that the direction is true. I, I want to not hope for a new head coach, you know, for once I want to have the season end and be like, all right, the core is here. The executives are here. The coaching staff is here. No more turnover only progression from this point forward. That's how I want to feel when the season is over. I don't know what that will look like, you know, benchmark wise. I don't know how many wins. I don't know what playoff seating. I don't know, you know, what draft position. I just want to feel good about the direction by the time the year is over and whatever they need to succeed in to make me feel that way is, is kind of where I'm, where I'm gauging it. So I guess we'll, we'll know when we get there. No, that's the best answer of all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was going to say that that would be neat to actually, feel all warm and fuzzy at the end. Uh, it's been a while, Cherry. I don't, I don't remember what it feels like. Yeah, it has. I mean, you know, and I, I, and I know I'm past the, you know, the excuse of factor, you know, uh, COVID or fan, you know, mm-hmm. come on, everybody, every team's got that. So, so you can't, you know, just, just uh, I, I guess I, I, I know I'm getting cynical that way. But now quit talking about schedule and excuse, you know, everybody plays 82. 41 home, 41 on the road. So just go play hard, play well, get better, win more. I think the, the, the Bubble Suns is a great example of a team that didn't make the playoffs, but that fan base felt great about the direction coming out of the season. That's sort of how I look at it. Like, make me feel great about next season at the end of this season. Don't make me feel dread about the offseason to come and all of that again. I don't want that again. I want to feel good about it. Sports is an entertainment industry, and yeah. uh, too often it feels like the Kings. We're going to the movies and we're watching a horror or or, or some dramedy that it'll it's an Oscar bait, but it, it made me cry, and I don't want to I don't want to see that one again. I'd like to to leave the theater feeling good about the movie I just watched for once. You're absolutely right, Tony. That is the best answer. 
So let's uh, let's roll on down then to uh, to Jerry. Jerry, what do you have for us today for the Reynolds wrap up? Well, I was just looking at. I was thinking about some old things. Uh, you know, being old. It's it's always one thing I've learned about being old is you know it. I've said for many times. You know, kind of life is kind of like a good book, and the the further you get into it the kind of the more it makes sense. And I've always said, now, I don't want everybody to have to be 77 before they start figuring shit out. But, but, but really, it, it, uh, looking back on my life, you know, as a young man, you know, it's one of those deals where there's no doubt when I was 30, I had all the answers. And then by the time I was 50, I started learning the questions. And, uh, and so, you know, I think it's a little bit, you know, as fans of sports teams and all that, or just life in general, it's like, Hey, it's all a process, you know, uh, just take it as it comes, learn, learn from it. You know, uh, you're going to make mistakes that, that that's a wonderful thing because you can't learn until you make mistakes and how to deal with them. So just a little, yeah, just a little look back and being a 77 year old fart that, uh, wishes he had to learn quicker, but, uh, yeah, but uh, for for young fans out there, you know, just just remember, you're, you know, when it comes to sports, and you got all the all the answers. You really don't. Uh, not a bad thing, uh, but uh, kind of when you when you screw up, just kind of learn a little something from it, and, and uh, move on. And the next time around, you you'll be a little smarter than you were. Jerry, during our intro, we're going to add philosopher to uh, to your list of things that you have. Now. Well, that's a. Uh, you worked for the Kings for 35 years. You'll, you'll get to philosophy. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I, I always used to tell people that, you know, when I was so arrogant as a young coach, when I came to the Kings, I had a lot of success and, you know, and I really thought it was me, you know, I uh, didn't realize that it's still, it's always about having really great players and, and at whatever level. And uh, I said, that, you know, working for the Kings that, you know, it, just took about a year or two to knock me to my knees and uh, to really understand exactly the, the, the deal, uh, you know, uh, you know, you, you, it is NBA is a player's league and Pat Riley, when he had him, he won big. And if he didn't have him, he won 17. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Greg Popovich won 21 one year. Yep. And, and he and he was not a dumb man then, and he wasn't a bit smarter when he, you know, won sixty. But, uh, but uh, so I was going to say that that's the wonderful thing about the NBA. I mean, at the highest levels, you know, it it is about the players, and that's why I'm cautiously optimistic about this team because the talent base is better top seven or eight players are more talented than the Jaeger last Jaeger year. I believe that. Now, what does it mean? It could mean more wins. And as Will pointed out, it could mean less wins. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if it's less wins, uh, we will not feel good like Tony wants to feel. Yeah. <laughs> well, for everyone here at, uh, at the Kings Herald, I'd like to thank you for listening to another episode. If you, uh, you find it in your heart to, uh, to give us your opinion, please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you, uh, wherever you find us. Uh, it, it makes a, a big difference for us. And uh, until next time, uh, thanks again. Appreciate it. Tiffany Hop from the King's Herald Barbershop.